pogrom took a very bloody look. This pogrom, in which started in February 1950, lasted for two months. And during this pogrom, a huge number of Hindus emigrated or migrated from East Pakistan to West Bengal. And uh, they came without a single possession, uh, with the, practically with the clothes on their backs. And in the process, a whole lot of Hindu women were brutalized. A lot of Hindu women were, um, uh, they were raped, they were killed, their houses were torched, properties were grabbed. It was a horrible time. Dr. Shamaprasad Mukherjee was in Nehru's cabinet at that time and he protested against it. Nehru could not make up his mind about it. And Sardar Patel was ailing at that time. This was in 1950. Sardar Patel died in uh, December 1950. He was ailing at that time. And it was only to Nehru that uh, Shamaprasad Mukherjee could make his appeal. Nehru could not make up his mind, but eventually he did something which I am forced to use a very harsh word which was terribly stupid. He inked a pact with Liaquat Ali Khan, that is the chief prime minister of Pakistan, which promised that each country will look after its minorities. Now imagine the stupidity of the pact, because it could not have been unknown to Nehru that in East Pakistan, all these atrocities were engineered by the Pakistan government itself. <laughs> Thank you very much for giving me this opportunity to speak on a subject which I have made almost the mission of my life. You see, if you ask a person, a reasonably informed person, that uh, do you know anything about the um, partition of India and the consequent refugee problem? He will say, Yes, as for instance, the women jumping into a well in Ralpindi and the massacre of uh, uh, Hindus and Sikhs in a junction station called Shikhpura in the, uh, Pakistani Punjab. We know all these things, but that is precisely the point. They all know very well about the Western Exodus, that is the Punjab Exodus. If you ask them about the Eastern Exodus, what happened about the uh, partition on the Eastern Front, they will uh, sort of hem and haw and then eventually they say, Mujhe jada pata nahi Actually, the Eastern Partition was just as tragic as the Western Partition. And uh, more tragic in the sense that there was no two-way movement. Unlike Punjab, in Bengal, there was no two-way movement. Only the Hindus moved from East, East Bengal to West Bengal. No Muslim or very few Muslims moved from West Bengal to East Bengal. And that is one aspect of it, which I shall eventually come to. Now, uh, let me just begin with the um, general story of partition. You see, this is, let me first introduce my book on the subject. This is my book, My People Uprooted, 
which I had taken some four or five years to finish after doing a lot of research on the subject of this Eastern partition as to what forced the Hindus in and a handful of Christians and Buddhists also in uh, East Bengal, what forced them to come over to India. And um, this is, you know, it's a sad fact and nothing to be proud of that this happens to be the only book, only complete book in English uh, on, this, on this subject. I was one of the purposes of writing this book was to um, encourage further research in this subject and writing a few more books. A few more books have been written, but not enough. This subject must be much more researched. Like the Punjab Exodus, for instance, there are a plethora of books. There are writings, very informative writings by people like G.S. Khosla, Penderel Moon, who's a British ICS officer, then by uh, uh, then fiction, works of fiction by Bhishan Shani and uh, Kushwant Singh. So many books are there, but about the Eastern few, Eastern partition, very few. So let me begin with the partition, first partition of Bengal. That happened in 1905. 1905, when the first uh, murmurs of the independence movement had surfaced. Lord Curzon was the uh, Viceroy of India. He decided that one way to combat this thing would be to drive the Hindus and Muslims apart. So in order to do that, he split the Bengal province of the Bengal presidency into two parts. One part remained Bengal, that is the western part, which would be Hindu majority. And the other part, he joined to Assam. It was called Eastern Bengal and Assam. This was an anti-Hindu move because the entire Hindu, the freedom movement in Bengal Including, uh, including the terrorist or the, including the armed movement in the beginning and the subsequent Gandhian movement in the 1930s and 40s were both confined practically entirely to Hindus. Whereas the 1947 partition was a pro-Hindu partition. This is a difference that a lot of people don't appreciate, even in the state of West Bengal, so I'll uh, uh, presently come to. Now, the 1905 partition which took place, to which I have called an anti-Hindu partition, it was repealed in 1911. And uh, simultaneously, the capital of India was shifted from Calcutta to New Delhi. Then after that, Bengal uh, remained uh, one province, but at the same time, uh, the British quietly went on engendering enmity between Hindus and Muslims. It was there. It is not as if it wasn't there in the beginning. But the British went on giving more and more fuel very uh, surreptitiously, very succinctly, with the result that over the years, relations really got bad. Then after Jinnah appeared in the scene in 1930s and Congress made such horrible mistakes with Jinnah, 
like for instance going back on their promise in the up elections then the congress uh, failing to make a mm, uh, coalition with fazlul haq in 1937 that is a different chapter i will not go into it because uh, it's not very well known and it would require some explanation in 1937 this horrible mistake that the congress made in not aligning with fazlul haq it's a different chapter altogether then one thing led to another and eventually we came to 1947 in 1947 uh, by march uh, the congress had conceded partition before that the congress was resisting partition and jinnah was demanding partition and uh, mahatma gandhi tried all kinds of things but right through the 1930s and 40s all these steps that the congress had taken one of them was a personal a step personally taken by uh, gandhi ji when the rest of the congress leaders were in uh, jail this was the gandhi jinnah talks of 1944 which was a very suicidal step i would say for on the part of mahatma gandhi so anyway we'll not go into it but in 1947 may march the congress had conceded partition now once partition was conceded uh, the question arose as to what would be bang what would be pakistan what would constitute pakistan and what would constitute the rest of india certain parts there was no doubt say for instance up uh, was would be part of india it was solidly hindu majority up mp Uh, Bombay Presidency, what was then Bombay Presidency, today is the sum of the two this two um, states of Gujarat and Maharashtra. Then the southern states, they would all be in India, and certain other parts which were solidly Muslim majority, like uh, uh, northeast from northwest frontier province, which is now known as Khyber uh, Pakhtunkhwa in Pakistan, that would go to Pakistan. Bengal was a big question. Punjab was also a big question because these had balanced population. Punjab, on the one hand, had a very substantial Hindu and Sikh population who did not want to go to Pakistan. The Muslims wanted to go to Pakistan. In Bengal, similarly, it had a slight majority of about fifty-three percent of Muslims who wanted Pakistan. and on the strength of that jinnah demanded that since bengal was a muslim majority province the whole of bengal must come to pakistan and since if you look at the map you will find that bengal is the state i mean i am talking about pre partition bengal pre partition bengal was the province which had separated the northeast from the rest of india so if whole of bengal went to pakistan then the northeast would be severed from the rest of india and the result would be that the northeast also would become part of pakistan which also jinnah had demanded at that time dr shama prasad mukherjee we have all heard of him he was the person who founded the bhartiya jansang and the bhartiya jansang later changed to the bhartiya janta party which is the party in power at the center now 
Dr. Shama Prasad Mukherjee stepped in and he said, no, the whole of Bengal will not go to Pakistan because the 47% Hindu minority, which is a very substantial percentage, they will not live as dhimmis in an Islamic country. So the parts which are Hindu majority in the western part of Bengal presidency, they, that part of Bengal must be severed and joined to India so that the Bengali Hindus have a homeland and they can live with their heads high uh, without fearing any persecution. What sort of foresight this man had eventually was proved true during the 1950s, even to this day. Now, when Dr. Shamprasad Mukherjee moved this uh, resolution or moved this idea, Jinnah and Liaquat Ali and all the Muslim League leaders, they resisted it tooth and nail. Jinnah said, this is a move actuated by spite and bitterness. Liaquat Ali said, I am sure the province will not divide. But eventually, Dr. Shamprasad Mukherjee managed to bring public opinion solidly in favor of his him, particularly Hindu public opinion solidly in favor of him, with the result that the, the province was divided. Now, how would it be divided? It was left to a British barrister, English barrister, called Sir Cyril Radcliffe, who was given the task of drawing the partition line between uh, Pakistan and India in both Bengal and Punjab. And Sir Cyril Radcliffe, you know what's why Cyril Radcliffe was uh, selected? The reason is because of his ignorance of India, that he knew nothing about India. He had no connections with India. So they reasoned, the British government reasoned, that if a person is totally ignorant about India and has no connection with India, then he would be an unbiased person, and that is what happened. Now, so what Sir Cyril Radcliffe did was uh, not exactly a just thing, but uh, he did it anyway. So Bengal was partitioned. When Bengal was partitioned along the Radcliffe lines, very fortunately, a little sliver of North Bengal was left, which connected the rest of India to uh, the Northeast. It is now called the Siliguri Corridor. This Siliguri Corridor is extremely uh, important in the geopolitics of India because it connects the Northeast with India over the land route. Now, after this partition, let me take you along the, well, uh, the very briefly along the uh, chronology of the partition. Unlike Punjab, which saw a wholesale uh, uh, migration from east to west and west to east, and with the result that by 1948, January, there were practically no Hindus or Sikhs left in Pakistani Punjab and practically no Muslims left in Indian Punjab with the sole exception of a tiny place called Maler Kotla. The rest of the, the exchange of population was complete and the government had also taken a policy of doing rehabilitation, rehabilitating the Punjabi refugees that is why all these colonies in Delhi, like their, like Rajinder Nagar, Kalkaji, uh, Lajpat Nagar, all these colonies were set up. 
and a uh, lot of farmers were rehabilitated in sparsely populated areas in Uttar Pradesh, like Pilibhit and all that, Udham Singh Nagar, these places. It didn't take place in Bengal. What happened in Bengal is the Muslims had prepared, the Muslims were prepared to go away to East Bengal. Mahatma Gandhi camped in Kolkata, or was Calcutta then, on the 15th of August, 1947, and he decided to entice the Muslims to stay on in India. This was the central reason why the Muslims did not go to East Bengal, but eventually the Hindus came away from East Bengal to West Bengal. Now, let me give you an idea about the percentages. Before partition, the part that constitutes West Bengal had an 80% Hindu population, 20% Muslim population. And the parts that constitute Bangladesh today, which became East Pakistan and eventually became Bangladesh, that part has uh, had uh, roughly 71% Muslim population and 29% Hindu population, with a few Christians and Buddhists. But the entire um, intellectual classes, the middle classes, the, uh, uh, the uh, teachers, professors, uh, shopkeepers, doctors, engineers, lawyers, accountants, people in all these professions, all the way down to ordinary clerks in East Bengal, were predominantly Hindu, where these professions were occupied, they were manned predominantly by Hindus. Muslims were mostly working as cultivators, common cultivators, and a few other professions here and there. But mostly into, there were some artisans, but mostly into manual labor. Now, after this, as we went on the, I mean, uh, after 1947 partition, the West Pakistanis, principally Punjabi Muslims, they arrived in East Pakistan. And they were very um, sort of jarred, very uh, upset at seeing the Hindu domination of the uh, intellectual classes, the uh, uh, college professors, school teachers, shopkeepers, and all that. So they decided that we must get rid of these Hindus. Uh, they, these Hindus have no place in an Islamic state. So they first tried to squeeze out the Hindus by economic process. A lot of Hindus are very moneyed, particularly in the towns. A lot of Hindus are very moneyed. So they started requisitioning Hindu houses at very uh, throwaway prices. I mean, um, I mean, they requisitioned Hindu houses that fixed their rent which was less than the municipal tax, with the result that the Hindus had a very difficult time and they could read the writing on the wall and they started emigrating to West Bengal. And meanwhile, they could see, uh, and uh, meanwhile, because at that time there was no wholesale murder or mayhem, they could uh, exchange property with Muslims in East Bengal, in West Bengal, who wanted to come over to East Bengal. This went on until 1940, uh, 1950. Meanwhile, the harassment 
the persecution, the economic squeeze being put on Hindus had attracted the notice of the government of India. But you must remember that Patel was there at that time. Sardar Patel was a different kind of person. He was there at that time and he had noted this kind of thing is going on. And he had forced Nehru because Nehru never bothered about these things. He had his airy fairy ideas about his becoming an international busybody. But Sardar Patel forced Nehru to exert pressure on the East Pakistan government so that uh, persecution of Hindus stopped. But, um, no, not but, uh, as a result of that, there were two inter-dominion agreements made in 19, uh, one in 1948, one in 1949, and people thought that Hindus would be able to live in East Pakistan peaceably only as second-class citizens. But the Pakistanis had a different idea. In 1950, from February 1950, they had started a bloody pogrom in East Pakistan. A pogrom is a organized mass killing and atrocity on a particular group of people. It's a Russian word which was first used when the because of, to signify the uh, atrocities of the Russians on Jews in Russia and Poland. Now, this pogrom took a very bloody look. This pogrom, in which started in February 1950, lasted for two months. And during this pogrom, a huge number of Hindus emigrated or migrated from East Pakistan to West Bengal. And they came without a single possession, uh, with the, practically with the clothes on their backs. And in the process, a whole lot of Hindu women were brutalized. A lot of Hindu women were, um, uh, they were raped, they were killed, their houses were torched, properties were grabbed. It was a horrible time. Dr. Shama Prasad Mukherjee was in Nehru's cabinet at that time and he protested against it. Nehru could not make up his mind about it. And Sardar Patel was ailing at that time. This was in 1950. Sardar Patel died in uh, December 1950. He was ailing at that time. And it was only to Nehru that uh, Shama Prasad Mukherjee could make his appeal. Nehru could not make up his mind, but eventually he did something which I am forced to use a very harsh word which was terribly stupid. He inked a pact with Liaquat Ali Khan, that is the chief prime minister of Pakistan, which promised that each country will look after its minorities. Now imagine the stupidity of the pact, because it could not have been unknown to Nehru that in East Pakistan, all these atrocities were engineered by the Pakistan government itself. The Pakistan government itself did their, uh, uh, this uh, kind of atrocity. I'll give you just one example. On the 12th of February, 1950, all these things are recorded in this book of mine. On the 12th of February, 1950, all trains crossing a bridge called the Anderson Bridge across the Meghna River between the stations of Hairab Bazar and Ashuganj were stopped in mid-span. 
All the Hindus in the train were knifed and they were thrown into the river. What a terrible gunbath it was. So many lives were lost and uh, absolutely defies description. I have recorded it in my book and I got it from an eyewitness who was saved. You know why? Because he was wearing a pair of pajamas. Whereas at that time, Hindus in Bengal, they almost all wear dhotis. And by dhotis, they could be identified as Hindus and they were all killed on this thing. Now, the fact that I am particularly mentioning, this was not the only case. In the town of Barisal, in the district of Barisal, in a place called Muladi, the town ran red with Hindu blood. There was so much of killing of Hindus, all these places. And why there was killing? Because there was no resistance from India. Nehru kept on hemming and hawing, hemming and hawing. First, he was said, Dr. Shamprasad Mukherjee said, let us grab some land from Pakistan to rehabilitate these refugees. Let us have an exchange of population like there was in Punjab. Nehru never listened to anything. Only Goa went on uh, making very high, lofty moral statements like this is a matter of faith. This is a matter of this, that, all kinds of things. And uh, he practically sold the East Bengali Hindus, of whom I am one, down the river. Just to digress on my personal thing. I, my immediate family did not suffer as a result of partition because my father was working in the government of India, Survey of India at that time in Kolkata. But a steady stream of relatives came into our house and my father had to bear the cost of uh, their upkeep because these people were very close relatives of us and they had been dispossessed of everything that they possessed in East Pakistan. Anyway. After this uh, Nehru Liaquat Pact, what uh, Dr. Shamprasad Mukherjee resigned from Nehru's cabinet. And then eventually he founded the Bhartiya Jansang, which later on became the Bhartiya Janta Party. And the rest is history. I'm not going into that. But Nehru's policy of this kind of uh, uh, not looking after the refugees or not looking or not uh, arranging for an, of any rehabilitation for the East Bengal refugees in India had disastrous consequences for these refugees. There were no Rajinder Nagars, no Kalkajis, no Lajpat Nagars, no um, uh, Pilibhit um, places for the East Bengal refugees. They were practically left to fend for themselves some rehabilitation was tried for them in the Andaman Islands. At that time, the communists had stepped in. And what the communists did is even more reprehensible. They tried to dissuade the refugees from going to Andaman Islands. Some refugees went and they, were, they prospered over there. But many did not go because of this dissuasion, uh, dissuading by the communists. This was one of the most horrible things that the communists did in Bengal. This is only one. They have, they have ruined my state of West Bengal. That is a different uh, thing altogether. But one of the worst things that they did in the early years, uh, early days of the state, were to dissuade uh, Hindu refugees from going to East Bengal. Now, this thing went on. And Pakistan, after the nehru Liaquat Pact, they took a conscious policy that henceforth they will not have any bloody riots. 
See, the riots were all uh, engineered by the government. All that they did is they told the newspapers that you print uh, this thing. You print reports of anti-Muslim riots in India. Then the Muslims will rise and uh, they will start killing Hindus and Hindus will run. And this kind of thing happened in 1950. But after 1950, the Nehru-Liyaga Pact, they decided that they will not have any kind of uh, this um, uh, mass rioting. Instead, they will squeeze the Hindus out. You know, just as you squeeze toothpaste out of a tube, they will similarly squeeze the Hindus out. And they started doing it by refusing them any kind of jobs, by um, grabbing their land, by uh, uh, putting a punitive tax on them, by uh, when when they're subjected to crime, like particularly one crime that the Hindus had suffered from was the snatching of their women, the brutalization of their women by Muslims. When this happened, the police stations won't take any complaint. So this kind of thing happened and the Hindus started moving out, moving out, moving out. But in between two points in 1964 and 1971, 1964, uh, some of you might remember that in Kashmir there was a uh, there is a manufactured story that the holy that the hair of the uh, Prophet Muhammad, which was kept in Hazrat Bal, it had been stolen. Now, when once it had been stolen, jihadi cross was raised, jihadi uh, anger was raised. And on whom to vent this jihadi anger except the beleaguered poor Hindus of East Bengal who were 1,000 miles away from Pakistan and who were from Kashmir and who had no idea of what Hazrat Bal is, but they were killed. This is a whole lot of Hindus at that time emigrated from East Pakistan to India. And then, of course, there was 1971, this Bangladesh War of Liberation. Which the Pakistanis, for which the Pakistanis put the entire blame on Hindus. Entire blame. And they killed Hindus like flies. At that time, some Muslims were also killed. Bengali Muslims were also killed. But the Hindus, 80% of the casualties were Hindu. And the way in which they were killed was unspeakable. Unspeakable. I just give you one example. We all know about Jalian Walabak. Jallianwalabagh is a thing which has been uh, spoken of since 1919. Ravindra Tagore renounced his knighthood because of that. Now, how many people I have visited Jallianwalabagh? It's a horrible thing that happened over there. But how many people were killed in Jallianwalabagh? Roughly 1,500 people. Can you imagine on one day in a town called Chuknagar in the district of Khulna, in the Upazila of Dumuria, 10,000 refugees, 10,000 Hindus were butchered, mass murdered by Pakistani army. Chuknagar, mind the, uh, note the words, the name. Chuknagar, it's a biggish village. It was a sort of a crossroads. And the Hindus, half of them women and children, they had all assembled there from different parts of the uh, uh, province of uh, East Pakistan to escape to India. It was only 40 kilometers away from the Indian border. These people were uh, butchered, not only by the Pakistani army, but also by their collaborators called Razakars. And this uh, the river, there's a river over there. It ran red with Hindu blood. 
the Pakistanis who were shooting them, they ran out of bullets, then they bayoneted them. A lot of people died in Stampede. It is unspeakable. Only one person has written about this thing. He is a Bangladeshi Muslim writer called Muntasir Mamun. Muntasir Mamun, he has written a book on this. He has collected eyewitness accounts and he has uh, written a book on this. It's a very it's a recommended book, but it's difficult to get in because it's a Bangladeshi publication. Now, 1971 also, I'm just to give you one example, the atrocities that they did. They had in one place where the Hindus were trying to escape. This uh, these Hindus were not just Bengalis, but there were a lot of Marwadis. Marwadis were businessmen in doing business in East Pakistan. They had been stopped just short of the border. They were taken down from a train and then killed by stoning. And the little children, they were thrashed against rails and killed. Unspeakable killing. Now, none of these things have got the sort of publicity that we know about the uh, women jumping into a well and all that. That is why I tried to bring out this thing in there. Now, certain questions had been posed by Aparnaji in the uh, in proposing these talks. And I shall add extremely relevant, extremely important questions, and I shall try to um, answer those questions. Number one is, why was there a reciprocal movement? That I have already answered. That first thing, Gandhiji is camping at Kolkata. Uh, why no reciprocal movement? That is taken, home, uh, taken care of. Second, why the Hindus could not resist? You see, you cannot resist state power. Beleaguered people, a minority, could not resist state power. Bengalis are not a warlike people. Punjabis, Hindus and Sikhs, they are warlike people, but even they could not resist state power in Pakistan. They were killed like flies and they had to run away because the Pakistani Punjabi Muslims in Pakistan, they butchered their next door neighbors like that. Uh, all over Western Punjab. So there was no question of their uh, being able to resist in the state. If India had been uh, a little more vigilant and uh, less, quote-unquote, secular, perhaps the lot of Hindus and Sikhs and a few Buddhists and Christians would have been better, but they were not. Finally, the question of concealment. Why don't any of you, why don't the public know about this? The reason is that the psyche of Bengali Hindus in East uh, West Bengal was overshadowed by left Nehruvian Dalu system. The leftists, the communists, and Pandit Nehru's thinking, they had injected a kind of Dalu system in uh, the minds of the Bengali Hindus, they had been doing it since the 1930s. And because the Congress did nothing to uh, in the fields of uh, culture and uh, literary field, in uh, literature and culture, this entire field in Bengal was taken over by the leftists, the Marxists, and they injected this culture, which eventually uh, translated into saying that Muslim can do no wrong. Just like in England, it used to be said, the king can do no wrong. It is like that a Muslim can do no wrong. Thou shalt not speak ill of a Muslim. 
So this is something that I have found absolutely anathema. Why can't a Muslim do, do wrong? Why can't I run down a Muslim just the way I can run down a Hindu? Why can't I say that just as a Hindu can do wrong or a Sikh can do wrong, why can't a Muslim can do wrong? But this was the value system trust. As a result of that, this thing was hidden from the public and a lot of excuses were manufactured, which I shall presently come to. And uh, you will get an idea of the process of concealment because of which people don't know about this terrible human rights uh, violation that took place in erstwhile East Pakistan. It continued in the, it has continued in the Bangladesh era also, to, although to a lesser extent. Now the reasons were, which were given, excuses were given when anybody tried to speak about it. Number one is, oh, forget, let's forgive and forget. Let bygones be bygones. What nonsense. It means this completely does away with the idea of writing history. So we mustn't have any history. If you say that let bygones be bygones, then we need not write any history. All history can be thrown into the garbage heap. Secondly, two wrongs don't make a right. Who's asking for two wrongs? We are not asking, we would not dream of killing Hindu, the Indian Muslims in retaliation of the uh, Pakistani Hindu, Hindus that the Pakistanis had killed in East Pakistan. But that doesn't mean that we mustn't shout about it, we mustn't speak about it, we mustn't uh, uh, disparage it, we mustn't decry it. Of course we must. We must bring it to the notice of the whole world. You know, the, of all the refugee movements that have taken place in the world, including the very small refugee movement of Tibetans from China to India, people know about it. These are all listed in the annals of the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees. But the East Bengal refugee movement, the total number of people was, I have estimated the number to be 1.2 crores, 1.2 crores. This doesn't find a place anywhere in the annals of the refugee movement. So two wrongs don't make a right. Nobody is advocating the second wrong. They have manufactured this thing and then they are trying to use it as a sort of a justification for concealment. Third is Muslims were also wrong. Yes, Muslims were wrong. Hindus were superior. Hindus were money. So a lot of Hindus insulted Muslims saying that Tum ye gharba, gharbe sakte ho, chappal khol ke aao, um, sar kar sakte ho, that sort of thing. It is true. But is our rape and murder retribution for that kind of thing? And if that kind of thing was done, does it justify rape and murder and torching of houses and killing of people, killing of Hindus in East Bengal? Then the fourth one is there was equal brutality on both sides. Nonsense. Absolute rot. There was no equal brutality on both sides. There were no anti-Muslim riots in West Bengal except two times, once in 1950 and once in 1964. And both were put down with all necessary force by the state government in West Bengal. Whereas in East Pakistan, the riots or the pogroms were engineered by the government itself. Then there is the argument, oh, many Muslims saved Hindu lives. Many Muslims saved Hindu lives. Big deal. They saved Hindu lives and helped them to come over to India. But they did not help them to stay on in Pakistan. Why? 
This is just an eyewash. Next is, it is all the fault of the British. Claiming the British is a very cheap game because the British never bothered to answer back. The British were at fault. But if the British were at fault, are the Pakistanis such children that they don't realize it after 70 years of independence that they did wrong and the, uh, having been enticed by the British? Then um, their religion is like that. What can you do? What is this? Can you imagine this kind of argument? Their religion is like that. What can you do? If somebody's religion says that it is religious for him to cut my throat, is it my duty to proffer my throat so that he can cut it, so that I respect his religion? Next argument is the Marxist argument that this is an economic struggle, nonsense. It wasn't an economic struggle because Hindu zamindar and Hindu cultivator, Hindu fishermen, pauperized Hindus, all were driven out without exception. So, and uh, from the upper caste Hindus all the way down to lower caste, so-called untouchable Hindus, they were all driven out without exception, just so long as they had a Hindu name. One surprising thing is, you know, there are a lot of um, uh, lower, so-called lower caste Hindus still in Bangladesh. And there are there is a lot of oppression on them, not exactly mass murder or any such thing, but there is a lot of oppression on them. These people, they do not convert in spite of their being low, uh, low caste and in spite of the so-called low caste and in spite of their being uh, uh, oppressed. They won't convert to Islam. They have stuck on to Hinduism in spite of their being local. Then uh, finally, there's a negationist argument, you know, oh, this never happened. It's all uh, bullshit. It's all uh, blown up. Uh, none of these things happen. So these are the sort of arguments that are given as a result of which the world doesn't know the country doesn't know, even India, even in West Bengal, the Hindus don't know what will happen. Now, I have made this a mission in my life to make it known to people. Some other people have also started writing on it. Uh, I am encouraging it. And anybody who wants to write on it, uh, I'll give him all possible help. And this is, this book is my own, this is got a Bengali edition also. And uh, this book is my humble contribution to the effort, but the, I am 76 now, going on 77. I may not have all those years, all that many years left on this world, but so long as I live, I have made this a mission in my life and I shall pursue this thing single-mindedly. Thank you very much. And thank the entire audience who are watching this for giving me this opportunity. Thank you. I have multiple questions to Mr. Sir, Tathagat Sir. First of all, my question is that Chattagao was in India in India. It was said that Chattagao was in India in India, but there was no policy एक मेरा एक हाइपोथेटिकल लेकिन मेरा एक क्यूरियस सवाल है कि अगर 
लैंग्वेज का मुद्दा नाइनटीन फोर्टी सेवन में उठाया जाता हमारे नीतिकारों के द्वारा जिसवाला नेहरू साहब थे या महात्मा गांधी थे या इवेन श्यामा प्रसाद मुखर्जी थे तो क्या जिस आधार पर नाइनटीन सेवेंटी वन में पाकिस्तान टूटा और बांग्लादेश एक्सिस्टेंस में आया क्या वह नाइनटीन भी कुछ किया जा सकता था मुझे आगे बंगाली भाषा का अच्छा पहले मैं चटगांव के जवाब दे रहा हूँ चटगांव डिस्ट्रिक्ट में दो हिस्से हैं मतलब चटगांव रीजन में दो हिस्से हैं एक को चिटगा या चटगांव कहते थे वो सॉलिड मुस्लिम मेजोरिटी था 60-70 परसेंट मुस्लिम था और दूसरा एक हिस्सा था जिसको चिटेगोंग हिल ट्रैक्स कहते थे ये चिटेगोंग हिल ट्रैक्स बुद्धिस्ट मेजोरिटी था वहां पर ज्यादा लोग वो चकमा लोग होते थे चकमा और सटना कुछ और ट्राइब्स होते थे जो बुद्धिस्ट थे ये बुद्धिस्ट मेजोरिटी एरिया तो पाकिस्तान में जाना नहीं चाहिए था पर वो रैडक्लिफ साहब ने ये सोचकर वो उसको पाकिस्तान में दे दिया कि उसका अप्रोच चटगांव के थ्रू है तो वो चटगांव पाकिस्तान में जाने से वो पहुंच नहीं पाएंगे इसलिए इसी आधार पर उसने ये को दे दिया अच्छा दूसरा प्रश्न जो आपने किए हैं ये बंगला लैंग्वेज के बारे में ये पूरा समझ में नहीं आया क्योंकि आप ये प्रश्न करते समय कुछ टेक्निकल इशूज हुई और पूरा सुनाई नहीं दी फिर भी मैं जहां तक समझा मैं जवाब देता हूं देखिए ऐसा है कि हम बंगला भाषा से हमारा लगाव बहुत ज्यादा है बंगला भाषा के आधार पर जो जो ये है जो कहते हैं बांग्लादेशी नेशनलिज्म जो है उसका एक आधार है बांग्ला भाषा पर आप ये भूल मत कीजिए कि बांग्लादेशी मुस्लिम जो है वो बांग्ला भाषा को प्यार करते हैं लेकिन वो इस्लाम को कुछ कम प्यार करते हैं ऐसा नहीं वो जितना बंगाली है उतना मुसलमान भी है और इस्लाम का पकड़ उन पर जो बांग्ला भाषा का जो पकड़ है इस्लाम का भी उतना ही पकड़ है इसलिए जब हिंदुओं के ऊपर अत्याचार होता है बांग्लादेश होने के बाद भी हिंदुओं के ऊपर काफी अत्याचार हुए जिसके चलते तस्लीमा नसरीन को देश छोड़ के भागना पड़ा क्योंकि उन्होंने लज्जा करके एक पुस्तक लिखे थे और वो लज्जा पुस्तक के कारण उसकी बहुत आलोचना हुई और उसको देश छोड़ के भागना पड़ा अभी वो भारत में रहते हैं पर वो अपने देश नहीं जा सकते हैं इसी कारणवश तो जो बांग्लादेश में दो नाइनटीन में 1992 में और 2001 से 2006 तक हिंदुओं के ऊपर अत्याचार हुए जी ऐसा है कि सबसे पहले जो हम लोग ने मुक्ति वाहिनी को मुक्ति वाहिनी को जो हमने ट्रेनिंग दिया था तो वेस्ट बंगाल में किस जगह पर ट्रेनिंग दिया था पहला सवाल है तो उन्होंने कहा था कि शेख मुजीबुर रहमान को इंदिरा गांधी का जो ऑपरेशन था वेस्ट मैंने ईस्ट पाकिस्तान को तोड़ने के लिए या उनका था उसका एक बहुत बड़ा कोर पिलर था कि मुझे शेख मुजीबुर रहमान को बचाना है उनको बांग्लादेश से कम शेख मुजीबुर रहमान से ज्यादा पर ये था तो एक क्या ऐसी बात थी उन्होंने प्रूव किया एक स्टोरी उनका बाई गिर बाई गैलोरी करके वो एक वेबसाइट चलाती है स्टोरी में लिखा हुआ है 
फेंके हुआ तो इसका इसके बाद और भी कई एक सवाल है जैसे कि वो जो तीन लाख तिरानवे हजार जो उनके जो आर्मी बैंड को हम लोग ने कैप्चर किया था उनको हम लोग जेल में नहीं डाला था कहा जाता है कि हमने जेल में डाला था लेकिन उनको लोग बैरक में रखा था उनको पेमेंट भी के साथ किया जाता था उनको जब फेस्टिवल उनका कोई आया था कोई आया था जब उनको यहाँ रखा गया था तो फेस्टिवल आया था तो उनके लोगों को बुला करके कहा गया था कि कहिए तो परिवार वालों को बुला देते हैं आप उनके साथ बनाइए बहुत अच्छा उनको खाने पीने का व्यवस्था किया गया था तो जैसे कि रावल मैम ने बताया है तो आप अपनी थोड़ी राय दीजिए इस पर आपका पहला प्रश्न लेके मैं बताता हूँ इसका उनका ट्रेनिंग जो है बांग्लादेश बॉर्डर के ऊपर कोई कुछ जगह है जैसे नदिया जिले में वहां उन लोगों को ट्रेनिंग दिया गया था और भी बहुत सारे जगह में ट्रेनिंग दिया गया था मेरे कुछ मित्र थे मेरे क्लास फेलोस थे जो आर्मी में बाद में मैं तो सिविल इंजीनियर हुए ऐसे पेशा से और मेरे कुछ मित्र थे जो हमारे क्लास फेलो वो कोर ऑफ इंजीनियर्स के में ये किए थे ज्वाइन किए थे उन लोगों ने बांग्लादेश में लड़ाई किए और उस उनमें शेख मुजीबर रहमान को तो बचा के बचाए कैसे शेख मुजीबर रहमान को तो वेस्ट पाकिस्तान में लिया गया था मियाओवाली करके एक जगह है पाकिस्तानी पंजाब में वो मियाओवाली में एक जेल में उनको रखा गया था तो उनको बचाने का तो सवाल ही नहीं पैदा होता था उसको कभी भी जान से मार दे सकते पाकिस्तान लोग लेकिन मारे नहीं और बाद में उनका मुक्ति मिली यही बात है और बस इतना ही मुझे कहना है आई हैव टू क्विक क्वेश्चंस वन इज व्हाट इज द कॉन्सिक्वेंस ऑफ द ट्रांसफर ऑफ ऑनक्लेव्स दैट हैपेंड अ फ्यू इयर्स अगो यस फॉर द माइनॉरिटीज इन बांग्लादेश Right. And secondly, uh, I mean, it is all well to say things about what happened in 1947 or 1971 and so on. Yes. But why is it that the ground situation doesn't seem to be improving even since 2014? That is the real question that I wonder about. I'll tell you. First thing, enclave transfer is a small thing. You see, the population of enclaves would all total up to a few lakhs. so on the total picture of the hindus in bangladesh who would uh, number i think uh, about 1 uh, and a half crores or so it did not have any kind of uh, influence effect on the whole of the uh, whole uh, the totality of hindus in bangladesh now after 2014 what had happened to the hindus in bangladesh i'll tell you see in bangladesh we have had two kinds of rules or in fact three kinds of rules number one is rule by awami league to which sheikh mujibur rahman belonged number two is rule by the military and number three is rule by bnp bangladesh national party or anti awami league parties awami league rule for hindus has been a sort of a mixed blessing mixed blessing in the sense that there is right now there is army league rule in bangladesh and the situation right now is that the hindus on the whole have security but they have no sense of security you understand there's a difference if you may be secure nobody may be attacking you nobody may be trying to um, uh, snatch away your daughter and anything of the sort 
but there is always a lurking fear that something might happen, something might happen, particularly at festival time, both Hindu festival time and uh, Muslim festival time. Mm. Then about uh, the military rule, military rule was generally bad. It is during military rule that uh, General Arshad, he had changed the constitution of Bangladesh from a secular constitution to an Islamic constitution. In the sense that he didn't make it an Islamic country, but he declared Islam to be the state religion. So naturally that had some consequences. Some There was a lot of pressure on Hindus to convert to Islam. And BNP rule, Bangladesh National Party rule, it was horrible. It was horrible for Hindus. And between 2001 and 2006, Hindus were very badly persecuted. In fact, one of the Bangladeshi journalists, in fact, most of the reporting by about the persecution of Hindus in Bangladesh have been written by Bangladeshi Muslim journalists. Notably, Shariar Kabir, then Muntasir Mamun, Salam Azad, then uh, Abul Barkat, and a few others. Now, Shariar Kabir has published a white paper, which is called 1500 Days of Persecution of Minorities in Bangladesh between 2001 and 2006. Unfortunately, it is written in Bengali, so it is accessible only to people who read Bengali. Right now, there is uh, this um, Islamic, there is uh, Awami League rule. So, as I said, Bengalis have security, Hindus have security, but they do not have a sense of security. There is always that lurking अच्छा महात्मा गांधी उसके लिए पाकिस्तान जाने वाले थे लेकिन उनकी हत्या हो गई दुखद हत्या हुई बिहार सॉरी फॉर नहीं ऐसा कुछ मैं सुना नहीं ये 40 किलोमीटर कॉरिडोर उन्होंने जो मांगे थे ये तो हमारे स्वतंत्रता के पहले 40 किलोमीटर वो वो मांगे थे लेकिन वो दिया नहीं गया Actually, Mahatma Gandhi, ne, on the advice of uh, Chakravarti Raja Gopalachiri, did a very wrong thing in 1944 in going to Muhammad Ali Jinnah's house and proposing certain uh, things which sort of defined Pakistan for him, defined Pakistan for Jinnah. Before that, you know, in the Jin, Pakistan resolution was passed in 1940 in Lahore. And in the Pakistan resolution, nothing was mentioned as to what would constitute Pakistan, which part of India would become Pakistan. Now, Gandhiji and uh, this um, uh, Chakravarti Rajagopalachari, they went to Jinnah and proposed uh, certain things, which gave a definition of Pakistan. They had no business to do it. They did a very wrong thing. That is why, you know, 1944, this Gandhi Jinnah talks. They are sort of suppressed. They are never mentioned. But it was a very wrong, injudicious thing that Gandhi did. That has got nothing to do with 40-kilometer wide corridor. Jinnah at some point of time had said that I don't want a moth-eaten Pakistan, but nobody uh, paid any attention to it. It was just a sort of a bargaining gambit. Wo bargain karne ke liye wo chate the. Yes. 
पाकिस्तान के जो तिरानवे हजार सैनिकों को बैठी बनाया गया था तो उनको जो भारत में रखा गया था लगभग आठ बजे कहा रखा गया था तो बैरक में रखा गया था जेल में रखा गया था कहा रखा गया था तो वो उस पर आप थोड़ा बताइए हाँ ठीक है समझ गया लेकिन इसमें एक बात है ये जो सैनिक लोग थे इन लोगों ने पाकिस्तान में ऐसा कुछ ईस्ट पाकिस्तान में बिटवीन मार्च दिसंबर 1971 ऐसा कुछ काम किए थे जिसके सामने आपका हिटलर का जो ये है स्टालिन का जो अत्याचार है वो भी मलान हो जाता है वो भी दे दे सॉर्ट ऑफ दे बिकम नथिंग हॉरेबल अत्याचार किए थे हॉरेबल अत्याचार किए थे इन लोगों ने तो इनको तो ट्रायल होना चाहिए था इंदिरा गांधी ने भुट्टो ने उसको उल्टा सीधा समझा दिया और इंदिरा गांधी ने एक पन्ना भी नहीं रखा जिसमें ये सारा वो शिमला में जो एग्रीमेंट हुई उसमें एक पन्ना भी नहीं रखा जिसमें वो ये किया था जो उसमें सब लिखी हुई है ये सब तो जो शर्त जिस शर्त के आधार पर ये एग्रीमेंट हुआ शिमला में ऐसा एक पन्ना भी नहीं रखा शिमला एग्रीमेंट के बाद जो उस समय कश्मीर के बारे में भी कहा गया था इंदिरा गांधी ने यह भी कही कि आप कश्मीर को जो प्रेजेंट लाइन ऑफ कंट्रोल है उसको इंटरनेशनल बॉर्डर के नाते मान लीजिए लेकिन भुट्टो ने कहा कि हाँ हाँ मान लेके नहीं तो मैं तैयार हूं लेकिन अभी मैं अगर पाकिस्तान को ये बोलू पाकिस्तान जाके ये बोलूंगा तो मुझे कतल किया जाएगा इसलिए आप ऐसा कीजिए कि आप इन लोगों को पाकिस्तान लेने दीजिए उसके बाद जो कॉन्फिडेंस आएगा लोगों के मन में उसमें मैं उसके आधार पर मैं तो कश्मीर का ये फैसला कर सकूंगा लेकिन वो ले जाने के बाद भुट्टो ने कहा कि पाकिस्तान इज विल गिट ग्रास एंड पाकिस्तान इज विल फाइट फॉर वन थाउजेंड ईयर्स बट दे विल नेवर कॉम्प्रोमाइज ऑन कश्मीर इंदिरा गांधी वॉज मेड अ फूल ऑफ शिमला एग्रीमेंट वॉज समथिंग इन विच इंदिरा गांधी वॉज मेड अ फूल ऑफ and pian haksar who was indira gandhi's next man he had uh, confessed that the word the way um, bhutto had made a fool of indira gandhi indira gandhi ne 93000 sainikon ko to chhod diya lekin 100 sainik kya 55 56 sainik the pakistan unko wapas nahi bulaya और एक मैं लाइटर रोड पर एक बात कहना चाहूंगा उसको आप भी ये करेंगे कि ऐसा कहा जाता है कि जो पीओडब्ल्यू थे वजन बढ़ गया था भारत में जो इत्यादि रहे थे उनको खाने पीने की व्यवस्था हुई कोई काम नहीं करना था मिनिमम तो इसलिए उनका वजन बढ़ गया था तो क्या ये सही बात है कि क्या इंदिरा गांधी जी ने जब किया सेटलमेंट तो तिरानवे को छोड़ दिया लेकिन एक सैनिकों को फिर वहां से नहीं मंगाया इस पर आपकी राय इस बारे में बहुत ज्यादा जानकारी पब्लिक डोमेन में नहीं है मैं इस बारे में जहां तक पढ़ा वो मोस्टली बेनजीर भुट्टो की ऑटोबायोग्राफी से है बेनजीर भुट्टो की ऑटोबायोग्राफी है डॉटर ऑफ द ईस्ट उसमें ये लिखा हुआ है कि कैसे भुट्टो ने इंदिरा गांधी को कन्विंस किया था कि पूरा सोल्जर को छोड़ दिया जाए 
इस बारे में इनके बारे में क्यों नूरम्बर टाइप आप नूरम्बर ट्रायल की बात जानते हैं तो जो सेकेंड वर्ल्ड वॉर के बाद हुई नूरम्बर ट्रायल में जो ये लोग जर्मन लोग जो यहूदी यहूदी लोगों के ऊपर अत्याचार किए थे उनका ट्रायल हुआ था और उनका कुछ दस बीस लोगों का फांसी भी हो गया तो ऐसा क्यों नहीं किया गया ये भी बहुत बड़ा क्वेश्चन है इसका भी जवाब मेरे पास नहीं है जहां तक मैं सुना हूं ये भी कोई ऑफिशियल नहीं है कि उस समय कुछ बंगाली मुस्लिम पाकिस्तान में थे इस वेस्ट पाकिस्तान में थे उनके सेफ्टी के लिए ये सारा पाकिस्तानी सोल्जर को छोड़ना पड़ा वरना वो जो बंगाली मुस्लिम वेस्ट पाकिस्तान में थे उनको मार दिया जाता Yes. I was in Tartri Corps at that time. One or two questions which people are asked, I have got partial answers for them. Yes. Uh, we did train uh, people from Tibani. Yes. Uh, there was something called a twenty-two establishment on a general Calcut. What establishment? And twenty-two. Twenty-two. Okay. It was in Dehradun, and uh, we did train people there. and we also were training people in and around uh, the border of uh, bangladesh okay and my battalion was involved in some of those activities of uh, you know giving them support we used to take rations and give them uh, what you call uh, even vessels and clothes to wear and all that we were transporting all and so for us this prisoners being brought back Uh, my battalion again was involved in bringing those uh, Pakistani guys back into India. It might be interest to you. Pakistani soldiers were dead scared of Bengalis. They were dead scared of Bengalis. That is true. And हमारे जब कन्वाय खड़े होते थे, we had to get down, put up the LNDs, and ensure no Bengali comes near because any Bengali who sees a Pakistani would be butchered then and there. So because they deserved it. I have seen those houses in uh, Bangladesh. People who have been shot up, the house is broken. I mean, well, as I said, it's a very, very sad story. These prisoners who were brought were kept in different cantonments. Now that's where we had, uh, you know, barbed wire fencing and uh, barracks and things like that. They were looked after well, much better than they would ever look after. There's no doubt about. It. I would not say anything about their putting on weight. But they definitely were looked after well. And thirdly, look, ninety-three thousand prisoners is not a joke. To take care of them, feed them, and ensure their safety and security, they were always trying to escape. Obviously, trying to escape and things. It was definitely a burden on us at that particular point of time. If you remember, sir, India was not a very rich country. In fact, we were terribly, very badly off. And there was a lot of pressure on Indira Gandhi to ensure that uh, we get rid of these guys anyhow. They were a liability, all said and done. Though they were uh, what you call a bargaining chip, which we did not use as well as we could have done. It was a very uh, poor bargaining that we did. Anyway, those are part of history, sir. I thought I'd just add these one or two points, and you're doing great service by bringing this fact to public notice. And there are many, many people like me who in the services who have been there, but we have never had a chance to come out 
and say these things in public so far. Okay. Uh, to take your last uh, statement first, uh, this is, um, there is no embargo on putting these things on paper now. But these have not been put in the public domain in a very formal way so far. All that I have said so far, a little uh, bits of it, have been got from private statements of people who had participated in the liberation struggle. I had a friend, one uh, Colonel Arjun Banerjee, he was a uh, he was a classmate of mine in uh, engineering college. He was a captain then. He had gone to liberate or take care to, to as an engineer officer to a big cantonment called Mainamot. And there he gave me some uh, ideas of the sort of thing that happened, how Bengali Muslims were harassed. They, all Bengali Muslim officers were killed. And the wives of the Bengali Muslims, one of the wives of Bengali Muslims, because she saw that this Arjun Banerjee was Bengali, she came and told her, told him, that the West Pakistani officers who had addressed her as Abhi on one day, the next day they made her serve liquor in the bar bare-bodied. An officer, fellow officer's wife was made to serve liquor bare-bodied in the cantonment uh, officer's bar. So that sort of thing that, I, that is that happened. Rest of the things is, uh, it's largely, you know, what I have heard over grapevines and all that. But I would really recommend that you, uh, whatever you know about it, since you have participated in this thing, write down, put down your reminiscences in writing. It will be uh, some good for, it will do some good for posterity. It was uh, P.N. Haksar who had told Indra Gandhi that not to bargain, but to be very firm. And the one statement which P.N. Haksar made about Bhutto was that he, Bhutto is so cunning that when you shake hands, remember to you count, must count fingers. the fingers. You must remember to count the fingers. But unfortunately, P.N. Haksar had a heart attack just before the talks began, before the similar agreement talks began. So he was not there with Indira Gandhi to see to it. And what exactly was the pressure on Indira Gandhi to submit to Bhutto's demand, one doesn't know. Because the reason is that Bhutto always said that once you capture a territory, you never return it. He followed that policy. He said that is the way only a nation can grow. And the other thing which was felt at that time by the people who were in the know that there was a lot of pressure from the United States and Russia both because one of our submarines, which was torpedoed, that was done by the American 7th uh, Fleet. So that pressure was there. And this is one reason why Indira Gandhi could not bargain on the Kashmir issue. Well, I don't know about this, with that one of our submarines was torpedoed. In fact, we had torpedoed a submarine of uh, the Pakistanis called Ghazi. It had come to be somewhere near Vishakhapatnam port in the Bay of Bengal. It was uh, gunned down and the whole submarine sank with its crews. 
that feeding 93,000 people was not a big deal for India, even though India was not a very rich country or even now it is not a rich country. India was not as rich as it is right now. But uh, at least some people, you know, after this partition, after this uh, 93,000 people went back, this POWs went back to Pakistan, Pakistan set up a commission of inquiry called the Hamudur Rahman Commission. And this Hamudur Rahman Commission had uh, found that uh, published certain findings, some of which were destroyed by Bhutto, but some of which survived and were somehow uh, managed, got hold of by India Today. India Today published them. And I have published, I have republished part of that in my book. So according to this Hamudur Rahman Commission, a lot of these uh, Pakistani officers, they had given orders in writing and orally to kill Hindus. Uh, General, um, I forget his name, I think it's Hamid Gul or someone like that, who used to, when he met uh, younger officers, junior officers, he used to shake hands with them and say, oh, Hello, how are you? How many Hindus have you killed? This kind of thing. Killing Hindus was like killing, um, uh, killing birds to them, to the Pakistanis. Now, some of these people could have been brought to trial, like the you know, Nuremberg type, type trial, and they could have been tried. I am not prepared to buy the argument that American pressure or their Soviet pressure prevented them, prevented us from selecting a few, particularly pernicious few, among these Pakistani soldiers and uh, trying them and then punishing them. Something should have been done.